hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. It is astounding all the ways that the Lord led that first generation of saints to find the truth. I mean, think about it. From 1830 up through the 19th century, there were so few missionaries and so much ground to cover. The Lord, the angels, and the Holy Ghost had to have been working overtime to find and bring the faith to those who were prepared. This story, this remarkable story, is about one of those and how he found truth in a very unusual way. Solomon Chamberlain was born in Connecticut. When he was eight years old, his father died, and Solomon said, from the time my father died till I was 19 years of age, I lived a very wicked life. And then he said, about that time, I had a vision of hell, which alarmed me very much, and I reformed, it would me too. My visions, he said, so alarmed me, I was in sorrow and repentance for many days on account of my sins. I thought I would give all the world if I could find a man that could tell me what I should do to be saved. I sought much, but could find none. Solomon prayed night and day, pleading until finally the word of the Lord came to him. Solomon, thy sins are forgiven thee. Go in peace and sin no more. Then about the year 1816, Solomon received another vision where he was told that there was no true church on the earth at that time, but that the true faith with prophets and apostles would soon be restored. He was also told that another book, like unto the Bible, would come forth. With that to look forward to, Solomon waited. Years passed, and then one day, Solomon grew restless. He went on a mission, we would say today, traveling along the Erie Canal on a canal boat, traveling west, headed into Upper Canada to preach the gospel as he understood it. As he was coming along the canal, he passed the village of Palmyra, New York. Solomon felt a strange impression to get off the boat. He did. Then came another impression to start walking south. He did. He went right through the village and out into the countryside, about, I would guesstimate, about one to two miles to the south, and put up for the night with some local residents. The next morning, the lady of the house asked him if he had heard of the gold Bible. When she mentioned gold Bible, Solomon recorded, I felt a shock of the power of God from head to foot. I said to myself, I shall soon find out why I have been led in this singular manner. At that moment, Solomon was 
was only a half mile from the Smith family farm. He went over there. As he entered the home, he asked, is there anyone here that believes in visions and revelations? Can you imagine Hiram's surprise at that question? Hiram said, yes, we're a visionary home. Upon learning that they were indeed a visionary household, Solomon expounded his views of the future restoration of Christ's New Testament church. The Smiths were astonished. Solomon spent two days with them while they taught him. Then Hiram and Solomon Chamberlain went into Palmyra to the Grandin print shop where the printing of the Book of Mormon had just begun. When the proof sheets containing the first 64 pages of the Book of Mormon came off Grandin's press, Solomon was so excited that he asked for permission to take some. He was given leave to do so, and he left with the proof sheets of the unprinted Book of Mormon and continued on his mission up into Canada, except now preaching a different gospel than the one he'd started out with, preaching about the Book of Mormon before it was even completed. He raised the warning voice, telling people to prepare for the great work of God that was coming. Turns out that among those who heard Solomon on that self-appointed mission were two fellows who would later have a tremendous impact, Phineas and Brigham Young. When the church was organized, Solomon was there. When the church went west, Solomon went too, suffering everything but death while he served faithfully and followed the prophets all the way to Utah. Solomon Chamberlain died in 1862. His last days spent, he said, endeavoring to live every day in a way that I am willing to meet the judge of all the earth at any time. End of quote. There have been several times here of late when I have lain awake at night and reflected on these stories. You can't study these stories like I have and research them without feeling something of the Holy Ghost bearing testimony to the witness that these early ones shared. They have stirred my soul, and I have reflected on the miracles that they so often attest to. I want you to know our God is a God of miracles, and he wants you to know that. The Book of Mormon attests that if miracles ever stop, it's the lack of faith among his people. But as long as there's people of faith, there will be miracles, and he wants you to know that and be assured of it. Miracles have not ceased. He delights to bless his children. Those miracles, you know this, come in his time and in his way for our best good. Certainly, not on our demands or timetable, but miracles will come to you when it is right. That is a fact. It was the season of the year for girls' camp. 
Mom and another leader were on their way up into the mountains. And of course, there were two girls in the back seat who didn't want to be there. Their attitude towards girls camp was, well, less than sterling, let's say. Well, they drove until they came to the turnoff where they were to start up the mountain. They stopped, bought treats, and then on their way up the mountain, they went. Except part of the way up, the car suddenly chugged a couple of times and stopped. Just, just stopped. Cold. And no matter what they did, it would not start again. They kept trying, but to no avail. And by now, it's getting dark. They were the last ones up the mountain. All the rest of the stake had gone up the day before. There would be no one else coming up that road. And this was June. It was cold up there. What were they going to do? Just then, a pickup with two guys in it came down the mountain and stopped to see if they needed help. The two fellows looked under the hood and rattled off meaningless mechanical jargon that meant nothing to the ladies. Their verdict? The car was done. They should put it in neutral and coast back down the mountain. Can you imagine? And with that wisdom, the two guys jumped into their truck and drove off, leaving the women still stuck on a lonely mountain road as night fell. Well, Mom, my friend Kathy, said, I think we'd better say a prayer. And then she and the other leader walked off the road into the weeds, and with the two girls watching from the backseat of the car, the two women knelt down and prayed, Heavenly Father, we need your help. And on they went. Well, they walked back to the car and climbed in. Mom turned the key, and the car started right up. In the back seat, the eyes of these girls grew wide, and they started on their way once again, when to their amazement, quoting, almost immediately, headlights appeared behind them. Where did they come from? Now with someone following, up the mountain they went, singing camp songs, assured that if the car died again, the people behind them would be able to help. They reached the turnoff for the camp. They had made it. While looking in the rearview mirror, Mom said something like, I'm sure glad they were there. Everyone in the car at that moment turned around and looked at the large headlights behind them. At that precise moment, the headlights vanished. They didn't drive off. They didn't turn away. They didn't turn them out. They just vanished. As the reality hit them, one of the girls started to cry and said to her mother, I'm so glad you prayed. Heavenly Father fixed our car and sent angels to help us up the mountain. End of quote. He hears us. And suffice it to say, the attitude of those girls was much improved for the girls' camp and beyond. You know, I don't know how many times I have to keep saying this, you can't make up your own history. You can't invent the story of the past just on what you think it should be. 
we're dependent on the records. And what the records say is what we are constrained to believe, unless we have good reason to believe that someone falsified it. Our history comes from the written accounts of witnesses who were there. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have the richest and most complete history of our origins and development as a church of any major religion in the world. And it was a church historian, general authority, who told me that. And yet, unavoidably, there are holes in the record where we wish we knew more, but no one wrote it down. I've learned just in the last few months, buried in your family records are accounts from the early days that are precious and valuable to the overall record. Search them, find them, and share them. This is one of those. This story was given to me twice by two different descendants in just the last two weeks. It was June 1844 when 12-year-old Henry Martin Harmon lived with his family in Carthage, Illinois. Henry's father and cousin had passed away while returning from missionary service. They had frozen to death. His mother had remarried, and Henry was bitter and resentful against his stepfather, filled with grief at the loss of his father, and even his faith was shaken, and he was wondering why. The family history of Henry Martin Harmon records the following, quote, Henry remembered when they lived in Nauvoo how he had admired Joseph, the prophet Joseph. I'm going to quote it the way it's written. He weren't hardly like a prophet. At least a lot of folks wanted Joseph to be more like the Old Testament prophets, all fire and brimstone. He was a mighty, handsome, and young, and full of enthusiasm. But some folks were never happy with anything and criticized that Joseph was too handsome, young, and not sober enough to be fit for such a calling. Henry thought him mighty like a god. Henry, even then, had walked around in a daze for being uprooted and cast around. It seemed, still quoting, Joseph understood. Weren't many adults who went out of the way to talk to kids, but Joseph did. He'd wait sometimes when he couldn't leave a conversation to talk to Henry. When he did talk to Henry, he always asked after his mom. Joseph had a liking for people that went beyond what Henry had ever seen before. Henry could believe that Joseph was more a prophet than anybody else he could think on. But now, Joseph was locked in the jail that stood across the street from his ma's house. The house ma shared with Elias, that's his stepfather, and his kids and Henry's brothers and sisters. It weren't Henry's home, that was for sure, just a place to sleep at night. He could see the jail now, the one Joseph was in. His ma had took Joseph some pie the other day, but the guard took it and she thought probably Joseph never got it. 
Henry stood still to think a minute. It didn't seem fair. It surely didn't. His dad and cousin dead for being a Mormon, and Joseph locked in jail for the same thing, and his ma always saying that the Lord would watch after them. The grief shook him again, just as he heard the shots and the commotion around the jail. He knew the trouble had finally come, the trouble that everyone had been watching over their shoulders for and never known for sure when it would come. Henry saw Joseph leap from the window. One of the mobs scream about revenge at last, and Joseph's body fall like a rag doll. Henry started to run. Some of the mob were in the dooryard of his ma's house. She might be home alone and in trouble. He heard some of the eggs crack and felt goo run down on his hands. He threw the bag to the ground and ran faster. He'd have to worry about the cows after he found out how was his ma. It was then Henry saw the flash of light marking the passage of Joseph into heaven. Was it really with his eyes he saw the light or with his heart? He trembled and brushed his wet cheeks. He felt an arm on his shoulder, his paw telling him that he must be a man now and take his place as a man in the family, not to leave home as his brothers had done because Ma needed him. Henry looked around but saw no one. He felt warm and the fear left him. There was that in him that knew he was being watched taken care of, and loved." End of quote. Henry Martin Harmon eventually came west and settled with his family in Afton, Wyoming. It's there that he passed away and is buried. His descendants honor his name. I thought I would conclude tonight with, with this last story. It's definitely unplanned. Why? Because this happened to me just this morning. I may be something of a doughhead in my actions at times. Just ask my family. But by nature, I am a thinker. And I love the Lord with all my heart and wish I could love him more and be better. This morning, this is what I learned. In the ongoing struggle, to be a better person, a better disciple. I have pondered a great deal about the Lord's power in my life. There are times when I feel that power, and then there are times when I don't. I've begun to recognize here of late those activities that bring the power and may, or maintain it, and those that don't, that cause me to lose it. It has become almost a mantra in my life. And this is very personal. Please don't hold it against me. A mantra, my own personal reminder, keep your power, Glenn. Keep your power. This is what came to me this morning. I remember an incident a startling revelation, almost, as it were, in my learning to drive big rigs. Yeah, it's another truck driving story. I'm sorry, but if it's not trucks or horses, I pretty much don't know smack. 
I remember an incident more than 30 years ago. I was sent with a loaded truck to Star Valley, Wyoming. I was hauling ammonium nitrate mixed with diesel fuel. What's that? Explosives. Very, very powerful explosives to a mine on the west side of Star Valley. It was a cold, snowy morning. As I started up the steep switchback road to the mine, there was a little bit of snow on that road. The truck pulled down on the steep grade to its lowest gears, and I'm just, engines just full throttle, and I'm just crawling along. Then I came to a sharp, banked switchback turn. The moment I went into that turn and the weight of the trailer shifted with the bank, the outside driver tires spun out and I was stuck. They had to come down and get me with a large patrol and pull me up the road. Over many years of driving in the highest mountains, I learned that as long as I maintained a straight steady course and didn't stop or turn, I could generally keep going up the mountain. But if I happened to miss a gear on those steep climbs or turned too sharp, I lost traction and I was immediately stopped. And sometimes if it was not really hard to get going, it was downright impossible. And more than once, I had to be pulled up mountain grades. And we're talking mountains and grades so steep that big trucks shouldn't have been there. And they were so steep, it tore out the gears of the differentials in our trucks. What's that got to do with anything? You remember that story in the New Testament when Peter stepped out of the boat on the stormy Sea of Galilee and began walking on the water to the Savior? Remember? As long as Peter's gaze was fixed on the master and his course was straight to him, Peter had the incredible power to walk on water. But when the wind and the waves distracted him and he looked down, he lost that power and sank into the depths. So it is with us. Whatever it is, my dear friend, that brings the power of the Almighty into your life, keep doing it. Whatever it is that you fix your gaze on that empowers you to be happy and do better, keep looking at it. Don't stop. Don't sit down. Don't turn. Keep your power. Keep your power. Keep your power. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week. <music>